Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, this is Gilbert, and you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. We are back in the USA this week for episode 64. It's Stu's Wrestling Podcast and my guest is second generation wrestler Bobo Brazil Jr. Bobo is a 21-time Hall of Famer about to be a 22-time Hall of Famer into next year. We talk about his dad, the late, great Bobo Brazil Sr., who was the first black champion in wrestling. And we also talk about Junior's quest to hit 50 years in the business. He's currently on 47 years in the business, and he's trying to break his dad's record of 50. Junior is mixed up with some of the best in the history of wrestling, including Ric Flair. He's tagged with Animal, he's tagged with Hawk, to name but a few. He also talks about travelling the road with Mick Foley. So wrestled worldwide, including Europe and Japan. You'll get to hear about all this and more. Talks about his promotion, Midwest Championship International Wrestling, MCIW. So without further ado, let's get to it with the 21-time, soon-to-be 22-time Wrestling Hall of Famer, Bobo Brazil Jr. Enjoy. My guest today on Stu's Wrestling Podcast, we've got wrestling royalty, a legend all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. It is Bobo Brazil Jr. How's it going, Bobo? Pleasure to get you on. It's going good since this pandemic and everything that slowed down. It's really great. And wrestling began to slowly pick back up. What have the plans been in, in terms of like the, the present times? With I know you're in the promotion. How, how's that been with covid it's it's kind of like slow. A lot of people shut down, and everybody know in these big arenas that you you're not going to be social distant. You know, in a small arena, you can be social distant because we had a show about three weeks ago, and we sought to cheer social distance. And when I got ready to come out as a semi main event, I looked; they was all sitting together. I said, "Oh well." <laughs> you know. How many but, years? How many years have you been in the business, Bobo? Oh, sorry, I jumped in then. 47 years. 47 years. That's incredible. 47 that's, years. That's something that there won't be many guys with 47 years in, in the business, man. That's incredible. Yes, I just truly give all praises and thanks to the other good Lord because that's been a long road. Yeah, man. That amount oh. of years, crazy. Well, the... Oh man, he did fifty years. So. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to get to fifty like you, like your dad, man. I, I don't know if I'm gonna make it, but I'm gonna be pushing it hard to try. <laughs> you know? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask how it began for you, your start in the business all those years ago, and uh, yeah, just, just how you got, how you got your start in pro wrestling. 
I got started. Uh, I really didn't want to wrestle. I just went to the gym and watched Dick the Bruiser, Sir Lord Thomas, and uh, Kamala, and my father work out, you know, and the Crusher. And I, and I, I went with them a lot of times to the shows and we told the bag in the back. And one day I, I walked in the arena and I, I thought they wanted me to go get them like water and drink and crush a drink, beer and stuff. I was, I was going to be the runner. And they say, Hey, come up in here. Let me show you something. So, you know, it was, Hey, showing me the basic. I love the basic, but when they start to slamming me, I go like, Oh, it don't supposed to go this way. Do it. They, you got to learn how to do it. So about six months, you know, everybody wanted to practice with me and stuff. So I went down south and wrestled there in Baseville, Arkansas, stuff around that area down there. And one guy told me, hey, don't go to Memphis. I said, like, why shouldn't I go to Memphis? But they had at the time a Jerry Lawler lookalike. And uh, he was up around Truman with the scuffling hillbilly that too many people know about. But they was on the Memphis TV a lot. So I worked out with them and stuff and went over to Missouri. And my first payday, a lot of people don't believe, and I tell a young guy today, my first payday was with Jerry Lawler, Austin Allen, the Hunky Tonk Man, which was Wayne Ferris back then. We was over in Steel, Missouri at this bar wrestling and got our envelopes. So we was all happy. And I go like, wow, I got paid. I can't believe I got paid. You know, I'm, with, I'm with these guys. I don't supposed to be with them, but... I'm with them, so I'm gonna go out and celebrate with them. And, and we get to the service station, and, and this is the honest truth. We get to the service station, and we order, you know, skins and sandwiches, and we thought we had money in there, but lots of money. Okay, and we didn't have enough money between us to pay for gas, sandwiches, and beer. We, so we looked in our envelope. Boom, three dollars a piece. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Three dollars. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, how, how so, did you how did you do it? Well, you know, it was my first real match, and the bar was jam packed. Yeah, Austin Allen had to take his credit card and pay for everything. And you know, and I I can laugh at it now, but back then we went to the back to the bar to tear it up, but it was closed. It was, it was closed. <laughs> But the day I could laugh at it. Really. And then I went on, I kept my head up, and I told my father. So he said, let me learn you the in and out about wrestling. So everywhere I went for 10 years, I counted lights, looking up at the ceiling. I was just a job guy, as they called me. So finally, I, I walked in there, and Mr. Fuji was working for the WWE in St. Louis at the Chase. I never will forget it. He walked in there. I had wrestling, and uh, he told me to spread your legs. And if you ever watched Mr. Fuji wrestle back in the days with W, he would always use the kick between the legs. I thought he said, grab the leg. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> So I grabbed this leg, and he chopped me, chopped blood out of my chest. And I was like, wow, what did I do wrong? I knew it was something I had idea for. So I go back to the dressing room, and, you know, I, I didn't mind the chop because we're getting 250 a, you know, a match. So he goes back, he tells my father, he said, He's a good kid. He just needs more matches up on his belt. So they, they get to understanding then that we need to put him in more matches. I went into the, mm -hmm. the Federation at the time as the disco dog was by the junkyard dog was coming in later on. I had to change my name. And so Vince said, I'll just go out as Jim Burke. So I goes out and I'm wrestling. Rocky Johnson, which was the heavyweight wow. champ, uh, tag team champion. Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. So I get through that match pretty good. And they said, good match, kid, good. So the main event didn't show up. So I had to go out and wrestle John Studd. He shoots me across and says, duck the elbow. As I ducked tall as I am, my knee went in the back of his knee, and he knocked down. I heard Vince Jones say, oh, my, he knocked him down. So he said, cover me, kid, cover me. Only mistake I made when I covered him. I said, when, when I clipped him and he went down, he said, cover me, kid. I covered, He pissed me over the top rope. Ooh, I said, ooh, this guy's strong. So I gets out there, and, and I go to get up. He said, stay down. He's stepping over the rope. I thought he was going to step through the rope. 
but he steps over the rope and he comes down. He picks me up over his head, throw me back in. Now, mind you, I'm 210 pounds at the time. <laughs> you know? And I go like, whoa. As I hit the mat, I hear the referee say, lay there. So I lay there. They covered me, one, two, three. And on my way back, I, I met this lady, and I didn't think she's going to be famous. Her name was Sapphire. I don't know. Do you remember? She yeah, I do remember Sapphire Bobo. Yeah, uh, in a she, WWF run. Yeah. yeah. She said, son, why you keep going? You're just getting beat up. And I said, I get paid. I remember that. So years later down the road, I mean, like 10 years later, she ended up being my manager. Wow. And, and I couldn't believe it in the independent wrestling. Because when Vince let her go, she was looking for work. And this guy said, hey, how would you like for Sapphire to be your manager? I said, fine. I, I don't care. I mean, she took me to a great success. You know, and then I, I began to go to world class in Texas and all over Europe. Japan, Australia, you know, Jamaica, and I'm like, wow, I'm getting to you know, see the world a little bit, you know, but they, they kind of liked me in Japan, but I couldn't stay over there, so I end up trying to go to China, but something happened over there, I didn't get a chance to go, you know, so I came back and I did the Chicago area, Indiana area, the Ohio area, and then Canada, I went over to Canada and wrestled a lot, and I met Rocky Johnson, uh, brother, sweet daddy Siki and all those guys, you know. And it was amazing. And then so my first time being put in the Hall of Fame was right there in Muncie, Indiana and the Buff Bagwell was all of them there, you know. They're like, yeah, I'm like, why you put me in the Hall of Fame? They said, well, you've been in it 15 years. And I'm like, I still got a long way to go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that, I ended up being a 21-time Hall of Famer. Wow. Next month, um, not next month, I apologize for that. Uh, January the 9th, I'll be 22 times Hall of Fame. Incredible, man. That's what, what an endorsement that is for you. That's <laughs> just, you can't, you can't grumble with that, Bobo. No. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, I'm not grumbling about it, but I like, I really just would like to pay more dues. Yeah. That the 22 times should have been in my 50th year if I make it that far, you know. But now I, I own a small promotion and I train a lot of guys, and I, I just don't understand about the guys that now they take one or two lessons, they think they can go out on the road. It took six months, yeah, before I even got in the ring, and all I could do was just keep your hands down and just bump, get up, bump, get up, you know. And you tell guys that today. That's what they have to do. They'll walk out the building. You know, they paid all this money. Go, no, I'm better than that. Well, if you're better than that, why did you come no. and get trained? <laughs> you know? That's you got to be trained the right way to stay in this mm -hmm. business. That's I think the whole mindset's wrong. Obviously, I'm not I'm not a wrestler. But I listen to you guys talking about it. What? Where do you think these kids are going wrong? Where else in your you know? Because you've got so many years in the business. Well. I really think they're going wrong. Uh, my enthusiasm uh, about it that I never copied off of nobody. Mm -hmm. I learned my own hopes, my own way. I practiced. I was in the ring. You know, my wife used to go and send me watch train guys and stuff. You know, and and, and I wouldn't look at them while they train it. They actually said, "Was that okay?" I go, "I didn't see it. Do it again." You know, giving them the frame of mind that you have to do it right before you step into that square circle with a legend or somebody that's been in the business for a while. See, because that's a price to pay if you get in there and screw up. You get in there and, like, lock up like he's a monkey wrench tightening up on a boat, you're in trouble. Which... Teach the guys the right way and learn how to fall the right way. To take care of your body, I make a long story short, to take care of your body while you're in there. Because I remember one guy told me, Dave McClain told me, he said, if you don't quit bumping on your knees, brother, you're going to have to have some new knee replacement. Well, after seeing all the guys with the new knee replacement, I end up getting a knee replacement. You know, but they didn't understand me because my body was in physical condition. I trained. Mm -hmm. uh, 2015, I had a knee replacement July the 1st. 2015, September the 3rd, I did a wrestling match. And the guy said, you had a knee replacement? I go, yeah. And he said, 
it didn't seem like the way you was moving in the ring, but see, I learned how to take care of myself. As I try to tell a young guy these days, work smart, not hard. Now, this hardcore wrestling they got going on, Nick Foley did that because that's the way that he got in. Mm -hmm. I, used to, I used to ride with him all the way to the Smoky Mountain. See, he's from around the Muncie area, over in that area, Muncie, Indiana. And I, he used to come through. I was living in Indianapolis, and I would ride with him. You know, not to get more training or nothing, just to make sure that, you know, what he was doing was right. And I didn't know him, and he really didn't know me. And I just told him, I said, you know, you got to make it in business. He go like, why would you say that? I said, you know, you got a family, you got a wife. You don't want to get in this business and get hurt, get your arm broke. Like, I seen guys back broke, neck broke. Mm -hmm. I seen them, the legs being broke because they didn't know what they was doing. They seen it done on TV, then figured they could do it. I have a lot of them that we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I go, really? Yes, you're going to do all that by yourself. <laughs> Well, what, what do you mean? I said, look, let me tell you something. If you've seen that on YouTube, don't bring it to me. I, let me go out and teach you how to wrestle. <laughs> you know? And I would give them a wrestling lesson because I got many wrestling lessons. You know, I, I took a many of them from Johnny Valiant, Cherry Valiant, Boogie Woogie Man. We were tag team partners. Road Warrior Animal, we oh. were tag team partners. Road Hawk, we won the championship belt in Jackson, Michigan and went over in Japan and defend them. You know, and these guys was teaching me. I already knew a lot, but they was teaching me. Mm -hmm. And this business, like I told them, you cannot learn enough if you want to stay in this business because it's changing. Every day it changes. You know, you got to stay coordinated with what's going on in this business. If you don't, don't get hurt. A lot of them come and say, oh, man, I really want to wrestle Bobo Seal Jr. <laughs> but after they get out of the ring, they go like, man, you know, he hit so hard. <laughs> <laughs> just teaching them a lesson Bobo <laughs> yeah when they, when they get in there and you know I'm trying to protect them and they protect me I trust you with my body you trust me with your body and then they make a mistake and they know anything they hear this big chop go wow that's what did I do you know you messed up Greg to have a valentine if you ever seen it he was the hardest chopping guy was in the mm -hmm. business at the time and I made him fold and drop to his knees one day. And he told old man, he said, that kid hit pretty hard. He said, yeah, he, he, he said, yeah, he, he's pretty strong. <laughs> so that's what I had to give him out today, you know, to work smart, not hard. And, and entertain. You're there to entertain. You know, some people take the cheap way out by cussing, grabbing themselves between the legs, giving birdies. I don't do none of that. I wrestle. You know, you want to wrestle me, I'll wrestle. You want to go hardcore, I'll go hardcore. I used to wrestle this guy, Dice Man, all over. His name is Ronnie Vegas. We went all over wrestling. Hulk Hogan said, don't never put me in there behind them. They had the greatest match in the world. Jimmy Snooker, custom promoter out in Columbus, Ohio. So don't never, never put me behind them again. They stole the show. And we would just go. We wouldn't even talk to one another. Ronnie Vegas and I, Dice Man Ronnie Vegas, we would not talk to no. him. He'd be in one dressing room. We know how to wrestle. And if we seen a mistake coming, he would say, mm -hmm. hey, Bo. I would say, well, he said, I messed that up. I said, well, let's put that on the shelf. We'll go back and do that again. See, we continue to go on and wrestle. Then we may add that spot back in there. A lot of people don't do that these days. They just keep on doing the same old thing. No matter the mess it up, they're doing the same old thing. With me, looking from a fan's eye, if you do that, he just tried that move. Why is he trying it again and start messing it up? Put it on the shelf and continue to go on with your match and then pick it up later on in the match. People don't believe in that. They won't do that. That's why they wonder. I was in a place called Greenfield, Indiana. And this is the heaven truth. It was only about 10 people in the audience. Everybody went out there and came. A couple guys I trained, they come back. But we just couldn't get the crowd out. One of the guys named TJ Superstar Power, he didn't want to go back out. I said, put your boots on. I said, you going out against me and this guy called Cutter, you and Dice Man. We went out from the time we stepped in the ring 
you would have thought that VFW was jam-packed. And it only had 10 people. We had them screaming. And they come back and say, wow, that was a good match. Even the owner said, man, that was a good match. Those other guys wasn't nothing to it. Take me to bring you guys back to have a show. I go, no, they know how to wrestle. But they was too busy trying to outdo the other See, the name of this game, it's got to be a bad guy and a good guy. Mm -hmm. Okay. The bad guy got to do his thing, and the good guy got to do his thing. But if you don't let them do it, the match is going to look like crap. See, if I go out there trying to show out because my wife is in the audience, I'm not going to have a good match. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> and a lot of people, they, oh, I don't want to lose my wife out there. My kids is out there. Why did you come to the match? Somebody got to win and somebody got to lose. That's the name of the game. You know? Look at uh, Hogan. He lost. I never seen my old man, you know, back on the floor, count one, two, three, never seen it. But I seen him lose matches by disqualification. Mm -hmm. You know? And stuff. And the people still cheered him. It's not, you know, the way you lose. It's how you lose the match to keep from hurting yourself. And that's the inner part of the business that the young guys don't understand anything. You know, it's how you lose. Of course, I used to get sent, Bruce used to send me to wrestle Ric Flair, wrestle from Central Illinois, one solid out. I was out of win when I got in the back, but, you know. <laughs> and he come back and said, good match. You know, and I lost, but it didn't hurt me. No, I get you. Yeah, you know, well. Flair, Flair, notorious for sixty minutes, yeah. man. So for you to stick with Flair, we all know how good Flair is. Was. Yep. I mean, people don't learn, I, and I haven't seen a young guy today go sixty minutes in the ring mm -hmm. with, a, with a with a legend. Mm -hmm. See what, and I tried to teach some of the students that, I had, but. Flair told me, he said, let me do my thing. And then he said, give him some love, baby. That means it's time for you to do your thing. <laughs> you know? So what you learn, you do it. And if he figured that he couldn't trust you with his body, if you ever watched him, he would hold the rope and would not let you do it and tell you to do something else because he didn't trust you. So these guys don't do that these days. That's why Flair is still in the business mm -hmm. and still going today. What Flair is like almost 70 years old. You know, yeah, he got me one. He got me a few years. Yeah, he, he's about 70 something years old. You know, and he's still going strong. <laughs> you know, they don't understand that. They thought he partied, like he said he partied. Yeah, great, yeah. But he didn't. It was a pretense. Right. After he got older, and when. A lot of promoters said, well, we don't think you can cut the mustard no more. He had to get in there and show him. Mm -hmm. And then he, he began to worry. And then he began to drink a little bit, you know, because he told me that his career, he seen his career falling before his eyes. You know, and I, I looked at him and told him, I said, Flash, you're one of the greatest ones that it is. I said, why would you see your career falling? Common sense could tell you, you can't get in there and do what you used to do years ago. Body wears and tear. Iron wears out. So you know your body going to wear and tear. That was, I had to get that understanding myself at the age of 45. I said, wow, you know, like, man, these young guys coming here twice as fast and you still out wrestling them. You know, one of these days you're going to have to slow down. See, now it's, it's wrestling. When I get in there to wrestle, a lot of guys tell my wife, he's not that old. She said, yes, he is. I know how old my husband is. She, and they said, no, not, he's not that old. I, I, some guys, they was high fly. They could go, I mean, boom, 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 nonstop. And every time that they bump me and turn around, go to hit the ropes, I'm back up on my feet. Because, see, I learned how to get up and down, and these guys, they don't, you know. And, and right now, with a knee replacing, I'm good for 45 minutes and won't break a sweat, you know. So, you know, that's what a lot of guys got to think about the business these days. Do you see much of current product on, on TV in relation to WWE, AEW, stuff of that nature, Bo? Do you ever see anything on the telly or do you just not bother watching the modern stuff? 
yeah, I see things now that what Vince trying to do and JR trying to do, they really now is trying to compete with one another. And JR trying to steal all of Vince's wrestling. Vince has now got guys going a little bit further. You got to dig in a little bit deeper to get your character to stay where he wanted to be. They're going to have to change. JR know that he got like Chris Jericho and other guy, Dusty Rose, a nephew is in there. They got all of those guys and then they got the younger guys coming in that they are training that knows how really to entertain. You know, if you watch the AW that JR got, AIW, I believe, I don't really watch it that much. Those guys take their time. They look like they they really going, but you watch them, they hit a move, bam, and then they look for the response from the crowd. If that move's not good enough, the other guy hits a move to keep that crowd up. Vince guys right now, what they are doing is like Roman Reigns. I know him when he was a little bit of baby. I know I wrestled with his, his ancestor, Alfred Seeker. I wrestled with superhero, Rosie. I wrestled with him, Rakishi. You know, what they got Roman Reigns doing now is they had to boost his character, which mm -hmm. Vince didn't want to do it. Mm hmm boost his character, they become the head of the Samoans. See, that's the way they did Alpha and Seeker, you know, back in the, the 80s. Yeah. You know, they made them the big kahunas of everything. So I get a chance to go to Hawaii and wrestle for my Rocky Maivia. I get a chance to go there and, you know, Miss Maivia, she was the promoter. And I, I seen a lot and I learned a lot from all the guys over there. The Barbarian was over there at the time. You know, and his that guy's legs was bigger than my whole body at the time. <laughs> you know? they, got, they got all these giants over yeah, there. So I ended up wrestling, and then he said, a good match, kid. And, and, I mean, he called the match all the way through. Then he turned around and wrestled me in Indianapolis at Marion County Fairgrounds. And I said, wow. So we, we end up 20 years later meeting again in Muncie, Indiana. <laughs> and he looked at me. He goes, hey, kid, I remember you. He said, what happened to your muscles? I said, I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> he said, well, you know, when we get older, we can't keep that prime up no more. <laughs> but the wrestling of the day, the way I look at it, they need to. Really, now I'm not going to take nothing from Triple H because he was trained by old school mm -hmm. and he knows what he's doing. But for the WWE, when it's the WWF, I wrestled it. St. Louis, you know, Detroit, Joe Louis Arena. It, it wasn't like it was now. Now they sat and got to listen and put their input in. Vince Sr., you didn't put an input in with him. He knowed how he wanted his show to go. He said, I was and talked to you. And if you said, well, I got this great idea. You wasn't going to get that great idea right there. Maybe down the road later. But you wasn't going to get it. He goes, no, this is what I want you to do. And you will go out and do it. Jody Hamilton, WCW, was the same way. Now, JR, I worked around him a little bit. And to me... He knew what he was doing, but he had a bad attitude with it. You know, he just really think that you drive these guys, they are gold. You drive them, they're gold. No, you're killing these guys. Don't you know you're on the road when you sign a contract event 300 days out of a year? Some of these guys got family. You know, you can't drive them that hard. And now I see it the reverse. This guy's is putting in extra work because it's social distance, which is coronavirus. JRM really don't care because their arena that they wrestle in now is being sanitized mm -hmm. before they go in mm -hmm. and after they come out. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they crowd can come in, but Vince is not taking that chance because this thing is for real out there. It's, it's nothing to play with.
it's real. He's not taking that chance because if you look at it, he still got the Undertaker. Randy Orton is up in age. And you got all these other guys there, young guys coming in. So Vince is kind of protecting them a little bit and doing a social edition audience. See? And which I believe in a long run that Vince is going to come out on top, but he's going to suffer for a while. You see? Because his talent is leaving him now. You know? they, they, they can't work before an empty audience. Mm-hmm. When you first start with Vince, it's nobody out there but the people that are watching you wrestle. And that's only like two or three people. And you got to pretend that that audience is full. That's where the independent has got it on them now. Independent wrestling, you may go to wrestling and like, gee, I thought this guy draw a big crowd. <laughs> you know? But you got to go out and get 100%. And so. When you do get to the big time, it's so easy for them. They go like, wow, why this guy made it not in it? Because it's easy for him. He's used to wrestling before 20 or 30 peoples, and then he entertained better than when he get there and get all this electricity and atmosphere pulling in. He's able to do more and then enjoy himself until you get that one phone call when you're coming home, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And with Vince, is like this. You get ready to go home, and somebody may have a problem or get sick. You got to take their spot. Mm -hmm. uh, he got to rearrange his card now to switch things around. But I've been there and done that. Thought I was coming home one week. I ended up going home two months later. <laughs> See, because somebody else had problems. You know, somebody wiped and had a baby. Uh, yeah. You got your ankle broke. You know, or your knee busts, and you know, toes, ligaments, you know, your back, L1, L2, 4, 5 is going out. So you have, that's what they have to look at. That's means my theory with the young guys, mm -hmm. they do not, they do not protect themselves in the ring. They don't care. I was going to ask about the legacy, the legacy of your father, Bobo Brazil Sr., obviously, first. Black champion, world champion. Just yeah, talk about. I'd love to hear about your dad from you know from his from his son. That, that's why I, I wanted to ask you about that and and the legacy he left in wrestling all these years later. Well, all years wrap for one. Let's start with when he when he first become a hero to the people. Mm -hmm. He was the first black man that broke the bear to wrestle a white man and then take a championship. Well, that gave more African-Americans to come to the wrestling. And then it, a lot of Caucasian people liked it then because what he had did. And a lot of people tell me today, your father stood up, you know, for us. He made the way for us. Yes, he's not the only one that made the way for us. You got to look at the others that came along, Sweet Daddy Sinky. And, mm -hmm. and I seen a wrestler that I had never even heard of him before, you know. And stuff, and I'm going like, wow, that was back in the day. Seeing African American women's, you know, seeing Caucasian women, you know, wrestle with. Back when I started, and my father had told me this when he started, they only allowed one to two black people in an organization. So I, I go to Tennessee, and they tried to say, "Well, your dad was here." I said, "Yeah, he, you know." He, he made the way for us to be able to come through the curtain. Being with him, and he would tell me after the match, he said, I see the writing on the wall. Now, it took me 30 years to understand what I see the writing on the wall was about. Because he had come, the first African-American to come to United States heavyweight champion. Now, focus on this. If he come into your area, man, if I could beat him, talk to him and let me beat him, I moved up a notch higher. But that's what he meant by the writing on the wall. When you're on top, don't go in and let somebody put you on the bottom. Like, 
Rick Flair, I'm going to use another example. I'm going to use my father, for example, Dick the Bruiser. I'm going to use uh, Nick Bockwinkel. These guys were true champions. You know, and uh, the Bisco brothers, the, the uh, Vern Eriks, all those guys were two champions. Running with those guys and listening to my father coming up, he had been around all these guys that rubbed off on them. Once you're on top, you stay there. When someone wants to talk about, well, it's time for the change champions. I understood that when he walked in the house with two suitcases of money. If they're going to put your shoulder on the mat, get paid for it. That's where he was the first man that did that. And then everybody else followed. Well, hey, you know, Nick Bockwinkle said it. He said, if you're going to, and Rafael Illinois, I never get it. Shawn Michaels, I'm supposed to wrestle Shawn Michaels, but I end up wrestling Marty Jannetty. He pulled me to the side. He said, now, I know you. your contract says this, and you're on top as a TV champion. You know, beat Kirk Hennon, Scott Hall and Razor Marone, Larry Zabisco. He said, now, Sean Michael wants you to lose. He said, go to the promoter and tell him you want more money. And I did that. Sean Michael didn't wrestle me. I wrestled Marty Genetti and still got paid $750 that night. Now, this is back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I, paid, I went to Japan mm -hmm. in 91. I beat Leon Spinks. I had a magazine at home right today. Onita told me, he said, he's the champion. They love him over here. I said, well, you're only paying me $2,500 a night. Like that was penny money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm taking all this legacy come from my father. I said, I'll give a championship back to him at the Tokyo Dome. 91,000 people if you pay me $100,000. So he goes back and talks to some more people. So my partner, Wado, said this. He said, they're going to kill you before you leave. Wait, over here. I said, no, this is business. I said, this is straight up business. No pleasure. This is business. And they seen that I meant business. They paid me that money. You know, but I didn't go back to Japan to FMW. I ended up going back to New Japan. <laughs> because they said I was, they call an unreasonable bargain man. You know, I wasn't a businessman that they was looking for. But that was the legacy that I had learned. Yep. Coming up. You see. Because if who's I thought to myself, like my father, that he was the greatest champion, United States heavyweight champion in the world. He won over 40 states defending that belt. Look at Bruno Sammartino. He did the same thing. When he was the WWF champion, when Vince sent him somewhere, it was money. You know, because he said, I have a family to take care of. And that's the way my father seen it. He had a family take care of. Later on down the road, if he broke his legs or something, he wasn't going to be good to nobody. So they think ahead of time. And his legacy was building, 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 building. And I remember one time when he got every organization had turned him loose. You had these young guys coming up, Hulk Hogan, uh, John Studd was beginning to come up, Rocky Johnson them. Tony Atlas, because Rocky Johnson tagged with my father for a long time. Rocky Johnson even said, they don't want to pay us money now. They got all these other guys. We just like news. Hey, one hurt, take him out the past to put a nothing in. He went to a show one time. My older sister had passed away, and I'm like, what's wrong with father? I'm young, but I didn't know. His legacy coming up all these years, they wanted to pin him, and he wouldn't take the pin. So I stepped in and said, okay, I'll take the pin. They'll beat me. My father going through something right now. They said, no. We want to beat him. He told me, he said, hey, kid, 
<laughs> he used to call me puppy when I was real little. He said, I see the writing on the wall. And he went sat in the oil. They still had to pay him while we all out there breaking sweat and everything. The legacy coming up with him is a champion is always a champion. When he talked to Muhammad Ali, a champion was always a champion. And, you know, and people ask me, being a second-generation wrestler, I used to tell them all the time, I don't know, go ask Kirk Hingham. <laughs> He's second-generation. Go ask Randy Orton. He's a third-generation wrestler. I'm a second-generation wrestler. Why would you want to ask me that question? I came up with, well, my father, he lived next door to Sandbag, you know, the comedian. And his father, for people that know Sandbag's father, was a trainer. He didn't wrestle, but he knowed how to mm. wrestle. So he would give the input, and it, it, it just like a bunch of gospel people. When he hears that, hey, uh, they want you to come to Detroit, Joe Louis Arena, but they want to beat you. Because Sam Bapai was like the inner man of wrestling. And my father said, well, and I, I at the time, Two years in the business, I thought it was, you know, was really real. It wasn't anything. I said, man, I got to go see this because my father going to be awful mad. You know, he, he's like 6'9", and he's going to be mad. <laughs> it was Andre wanted to beat him. He got there. He told Andre, no, have you ever seen a, a double ring um, main event they had where they told one out of one ring, get it nothing? Him and Andre stood toe-to-toe. You could see him telling Andre, no, you're not beating me. Andre steps over the rope and leaves. <laughs> they have the discussion in the back. Mm-hmm. So Vince, Vince Sr. agreed with it, but Vince Jr. didn't. My father told him when I was standing right there, he said, if I let Andre beat me, why are you bringing me back? It is no use to bringing me back. The people come here to see me. They come here to see me beat them. Because Detroit and Detroit area was 90% of African Americans would come to the show. Mm-hmm. He said, these people to come to see me. And, and it was the, growing up watching these legends. Then I watched Andrew, Andre the Giant said that. I used, the way I used to sit in the dressing room and, and drink wine with him. And every glass he drank out of, I had him to sign it. And I would put it in my bag. <laughs> I used to do that. But, you know, watching these legends coming up, and you can look back at their legacy and see what's going on. And people today try to see that legacy in you. You see? But if you watch all the second-generation wrestlers, they learned something from their father's legacy. I learned a lot. It is how to deal with people going in, how how to deal with people cutting your tires because they don't like because you beat their hometown hero. Mm-hmm. That was the, the legacy of wrestling then. Now, my father would go to St. Louis, uh, I'm going to just say Kansas City, and beat Harley Race. The people had something to come back to. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To see in the rematch. And then, I don't know if you ever heard of the guy before, but his name was Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. He said, let me beat you. I said, no, that ain't going to work. I remember he said the same words to my father. My father said, no. Then they come up with, my father came up with the idea and said, okay, let me beat you, and then you jump me at the end of the match. Well, that brought the crowd back to see what you were going to do. You know, and living up under a legacy like that, so that's a long, hard road to travel, to knowing that every really you step in, somebody going to try to talk bad about you, or somebody going to try to beat you. You know, and I, t- I tell people today, what I think about Back then, looking at the world today, it's the same. It was a dog-eat-dog world back then. Everybody tried to get on top, and it was hard to hold that spot. But I I take my hat off to those legends 
that held their spot in the business. Now you don't see that. Mm -hmm. you, you don't see that at no. all. No, it's all. It's so a my father's legacy coming up was the do's and the don'ts and the inner and the out. That's how he made it 50 years in the business. Yeah. So I used to wonder, say, boy, he got his nerve telling them people no, and they offered him $5,000 a match. He tell them no. I thought the no was, I'm not going to come there and wrestle for that much. The law was, you're not going to put my shoulders down on the mat. It wasn't a pride. Mm. That it, it was where he started. You know, he started just like Hogan. He was a baseball player. I probably played baseball. You know, and as growing up, I was looking at, uh, yeah, I was looking at some of his, his pictures. And, and growing up, you know, and standing in the back of the line, when he stepped out in that arena, he was a different person. His character came up, and that rubbed off into him, which I wish some of these guys would learn today to be proud. Now, we have some fans. We have Andrew Rowe. We have a young guy by the name Daniel, don't know much about wrestling. And then we have one named Matt. These three guys begin to start wrestling, watching wrestling heavy. When I got a job on the police force, they didn't know who I was. I walked around the building. They did, they said, who is Bobo Vazir? I kept walking like I didn't know. I never questioned that my father's legacy lay, lay where it's at. So finally, I went over to the lab where they take you bring the police bring samples in, people murdered, you know, DNA. So I get talking to one of the girls. She said, you got a soft voice to be big as you are. I said, why would you say that? And one day I had my shirt on, my Bobo Brazil Jr. shirt, and I had a Bible scripture on the back. <laughs> she said, do you know Bobo? I said, yeah, somewhat. You know, and so... She pulls this book out and goes, show him. And also, she see, she see my picture there when I was young, me and him posing. And she goes, is this you? So I couldn't tell her no lies. So yeah, it spread it all over. The lady said, we, we got a gentle giant walking through here. And he's a celebrity. We didn't even know it. See, the, learning that from my father, that's how his legacy came. That's how he began to push and the legacy of his own hero, which he was never his own hero, you know. And I used to wonder who was his hero. And when I found out, I said, I got a question to ask you. Make this legacy go, because God wanted me to do a book on it. I said, everybody asked me who was my hero. Who was your hero? He looked at me, he said. Well, it was a kid, very small. I used to call him Puppy. Say all of, all the wrestlers in my family, you know, Kamala and him was first cousin. Oh, Houston, my. Harris, okay. Houston Harris and James Harris. <laughs> a lot of people didn't know that. I didn't I, know that. No. Yeah, they, they wow. first cousin. Wow! Incredible. <laughs> wow! I've learned and, something. I've learned a lot. Yes, and I have a brother. And Carl, he was the first Bobo Brazil Jr. They was the same height, a lot smaller. My, my brother was a lot smaller than my father. I was rousing up under the name of Clipso Jim from Kingston, Jamaica. And when they found out in the business, the independent business, now all of the top organization knew who I was. But the small independent business around Indiana and stuff, now they did not know that I was his son. Because of Carl. Now they see me and Carl on tag team belts together and everything. I always stayed back in the shower. I was the best wrestler because I stayed back in the shower. He caught in Kokomo, Indiana, I never forget it. He was going strong. My father was going real strong there. I mean his legacy 
that boom. Anytime he stepped in the arena, just a sheik or anybody, you know, the crowd went nuts. That they would pay to see him in the sheik. And I said, like, man, so in Kokomo, Indiana, in 90, 83, it was 83, Carl got caught doing drugs, which I never was a drug user. I was, I was kind of like my father, could nothing control me. No something like that. I didn't want nothing to control mm -hmm. me, so I had to stay sober, man. And I, I had this rouse, had a date. And her getting ready to go out the door, he said, hey, puppet. I said, uh-oh. I said, what? He called me puppet. There's something wrong. So I go back downstairs. She goes, we going on a date? I said, hey, my father called me. I got to see what's wrong. I go downstairs. He said, get dressed. Well, most average guy would say, well, I don't wrestle. I'm not wrestling no more, right? I said, yes, sir. Didn't ask him what it was for or nothing. Put back on my wrestling gear. Went out there and tagged with him. Never asked him the date. What happened to Carl? I went and asked Carl. I said, Carl, what happened? He said, ah, man, the old man called me doing drugs. I said, well, who about? He said, in the van. I go, uh-oh. And he didn't beat you down? He go, no, I ran. I called my wife. <laughs> she picked me up. Yeah. I'm just the truth. Just yeah, yeah. yeah she picked him up. You know? So he tells me one day I go home. And my mama's showing him. Then all the Michigans and I go cut the yard because the rest of them wouldn't cut the yard for him. I drive all the way from Indianapolis there to cut his yard. So I go up there. I, I get on the riding my mobile body and I cut the yard and, and everything. I mean, we had, right there on Britain, we had a big house, we had a big yard. And uh, I, <laughs> I went to go out there. He said, he said me and uh, we called my stepmother Shorty. She was shorter than we were. We called Mama Shorty. We want to talk to you. I said, yes, sir. So I said to myself, what I done did now? You know, you get kind of nervous when your father said he want to talk to you. He said, uh, I want you to have a name. I go, oh, man. First thing in mind, I got to fight with Carl. But nobody had the copyright of the name. So she wrote the letter, and my father signed. And he announced it in South Bend, Indiana, at Babe Ruth baseball field. He was up in the the booths and I was wrestling. I had we had in the hot sun we had one long match. I mean a long match. It was about the bounty hunter, nice man going against me and my, my new partner, Flying Andy Shank, which is a kid that I helped train. And man, I mean he was hot. I was I was drained. And I got ready to get out of the ring and he said, Hey puppy, I go, man, I'm in trouble again. Yeah. Because he did not use that name unless I was in trouble. And <laughs> <laughs> now he was 450 people sitting there. Some was in the cars. They all got out. They wanted to see what was going on. You know. He said, ladies and gentlemen, you see that young man standing in the ring? He said, from this day forward, he has the copyright of my name. He's Bobo Bazil Jr. I had a standing ovation. And out of 30 minutes in the hot sun, I cooled off so quick because I was like, phew, I'm not in trouble. <laughs> and his 50 years that he came up, I followed that legs. Those were two boots hard to feel. You know, I'm in arenas. I stepped in, people wanted to beat me. You know, the promoter pulled me to the side, and I'm like, uh, look, uh, we got this young kid coming. I said, how long are you doing the business? He said, oh, about three or four years. Now, I'm looking at I got 16, 17 years on this kid. I said, well, what do you want me to do with it? He said, I want you to let him beat you. I said, no. Nah. I, I, I unlaced my boots, and I walked out. The next day, I got a call from a promoter in Mississippi. He said, I want you to come to wrestle. I go to wrestle for him. Now, this is, I'm following my father's legacy. The same thing happened to my father, happened to me in this business. I get to Mississippi. He said, I'm not going to ask nobody to beat you. He said, I want you to wrestle this kid. 
I want you to out-wrestle. Whoever get the crowd of both of us are good guys, which they call baby faces. He said, no healing. I said, okay. So I knew I could wrestle. But I did a little high flying. I could jump straight up and lock my legs around your head like my dad, flip you over and stuff. <laughs> so I started doing all of that, the hip tosses, the backdrop, you know, the wind side where I grab you, hook you, spin you around, bam. The crowd was just cheering. The referee retched over this kid and said, you got to take the fall. So I, when it was time to go home, the referee said, take it home. I locked this kid in, but I didn't lock him in. He kicks out. So I scoop him up real quick before he gets, as soon as he got on his feet, turned around, bam, slammed him, and I clamped my hand <laughs> real tight. And he was using all his strength trying to kick out. So I just put pressure on his neck. I see my father do it. One, two, three. He got, he was so mad, he pushed the referee. And so I get in the back. I tell the kid, I go, what was that all about? He's kicking chairs and stuff, and everybody's bagged off in one corner. He said, you want to fight me? I said, no. I don't want to fight you, but you don't want to. You don't want to enter this fight like you are now. I said, "You all upset? You'll lose control and get beat up." So I came out the door. I got writer's cramp, and the promoter said he had never seen this before. That people stand there and wait to get an autograph. I seen this in St. Louis when my father beat the sheep. I said, "Hmm." I get to my car. I'm going to the airport. I said, I'm living the same legacy of my father. So going back to know more about my father's legacy, people wanted to beat him. He just knowed how to handle himself for being 6'9". He was right at 7 feet. I always said he was 7 feet or he had to bend over to come in the door. And our door was 7 feet. That's what they told me, but I don't know. I wasn't a carpenter back then. <laughs> But he had to bend over to come in. I know when um, he passed, they had to break his legs to put him in the casket. Yeah, they, they oh, had to do that. That's crazy. That's yep. <laughs> such, yeah, he, such he, they statue. Had, yeah, they had to do Andre the same way. And in the business, at, after my father passed, I didn't realize that he had enemies, and he had people that really loved him. I go over in Canada. I, I would go to Gary, Indiana, and the Latinas over there, they would not let nobody touch me at all. You know, they walked me to my car. They were there when I pulled up in the lot. You know, my wife one time, she said, what are they going to do? I said, they're going to walk us inside make sure we're safe. You know, that's how much love they have for mm -hmm. him and they love at me the same way. Yeah. You know, so if I really would tell somebody about my father's legacy, I would say it was a nominal. Mm -hmm. His legacy was a nominal. But he had an awesome career. He did. He had, you know, and I never seen him get hurt in the business. I seen him get his teeth. His teeth got chipped one time. He told the kid, "Do you know how to work?" I mean, he got on the kid hard. Man. He made the kid feel like a. I said, "Dog." Man. I sat beside the kid. I wasn't making fun of him. I said, "But man, now you know how a puppy feels." <laughs> he said, "No." Nah. I said, well, "My father called me puppy when I was in trouble." So I was looking for him to call you puppy, but I said, "You're in trouble, man." I said, "I'm gonna just tell you that." I was just working, you know. But my father won. That's the only time I ever seen him got hurt. So I never got hurt in the business. No when my knee wore out out of all the years. And I had stopped taking that, that bump about 10 years later. You know, my wife told me we traveled up down the road. I'd leave Sunday and go to Toledo, Ohio. I was the heavyweight champion. I came back. I had a stroke in this business, too many heart attacks, and I'm still going today. That's that's quite something, Bobo. You still you're still here. You're still here after all that, man. That's uh, that's quite incredible, man. Yeah, still here, and yeah. and I know you have a lot to do, but it's something that there's too many people, man. You remember Ox Baker, right? I do. Obviously, watching documentaries and stuff. I watched um, three hundred and fifty days. Um, Ox Box Baker. I think Ox Baker was on that. 
they did like interviews of Ox Baker. Um, yeah. What what a guy! And obviously, I've seen old old uh, footage of Ox Baker. Well, I'm the man that beat Ox Baker, gave him his last match, and won the CCW Heavyweight Champion from him. I said, Marin, Indiana. You can look up Ox Baker and Bobo Brazil Jr. and see how many. We went out one night. They had all these superstars there. They had Nikolai Volkov, because I was in Nikolai Corner that night. They had other different superstars, Lavis Abisco, Leaping Lanny, Potho was there, John Lytus was there. All of them went out and had a match. Me and Ox Baker went out. The reason he said that he felt like I should have the belt. We did a Pearl Harbor match, and Ox was pretty old then. He wasn't moving. Don't you know that we had that crowd up on their feet? He put a Japanese nerve hold on. I said, no, 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 no. He said, well, I heard him say yes. The crowd said no. He said, I heard him say yes. The crowd said no, yes, no. This is from the crowd. He's saying yes. And the, the crowd said no. So when I got up and hit it with two elbows, hit buddy, he dropped the one knee and I put the, the Japanese nerve hold on him. He said, no. The crowd said, yes. <laughs> he said, no. We did that for 20 minutes. And he told me when I got in the back, now his dressing room was across the hall. He said, total ref, go there and tell that kid I need one more match with him. I said, okay. The stipulation to have that belt that I have now in my bedroom there, with all the people that held it, signed it. Nikolai Volkov, John Lighters, all of them signed it. I wrestled. Oxbecker, he brought two seven-foot guys and Sabu in. You can look it up on the internet. Mm -hmm. I was hurting. I was hurting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. I'm going to get that on. Definitely going to watch that match. CCW, Marin Ohio. Yeah, I will do that, Bobo. I promise you that. Okay, and I um, I end up winning. Me and Sabu act like a team, but I gave Sabu his first match, you know what? Oh, right, I okay. Told, wow. I told, wow. I told Sabu, I said, the Sheik couldn't, you know, that's the Sheik nephew. That's their yeah, nephew. Absolutely, I, yeah. I said, in Youngstown, Ohio, I said, who's going to wrestle that young kid out there stretching in the ring? Because I had already. They had Jerry Lawler been showed up, but he didn't. Jerry Lawler had a lookalike, like I said. So Gary came. He looked just like Lawler. He's dead and gone, bless his heart. He would not wrestle the Sheik, so the Sheik had to get another guy that later on kicked me in the head so hard I've seen stars. Uh, so he said, I don't have nobody to wrestle. I guess I'll wrestle. I went out there, Sabu looked at me, and I looked at him. Here you got two generation wrestlers. He said, I don't know what to do. I said, I'm going to lead you to it. I, mean, I said, to show me that I can trust you, drop kick me 10 times. He did it. His feet hit me in the top of the head every time. I said, okay. I got up, gave him the match. Boom, I beat him. We was at the WCW, and this is untrue. WCW, John, Jody Hamilton was the booker. They had all these guys there. You know, they had the nasty boys. Scott Steiner, I trained, helped train him, got his career on the road. He, Him and his brother was there. Uh, uh, the uh, Harlem Heat was there. They told Sabu, said, we want you to wrestle Bobo. And then we'll get it because the night that that little midget kicked me in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I told him. <laughs> so Kamala was there. My, my bad cousin was there. And Ming, they was tag team part of that time. He looked at Jonah Hamilton and said, I'm not beating him. Jonah Hamilton said, I want you to beat him. He said, we brought him in to do a job, and he agreed with him. He said, I'm not going to beat him. He started putting his boots off. Jonah Hamilton said, Jesse. Now, that's not my real name. He said, Jesse, what's going on? He said, this, this, this guy holds my career in his hand. And he gave me my first match and made me look real good. And why I'm going to go out there and beat that he He's just like my uh, teacher. He said, be a teacher, student, I would have to let him win. But Sabu come in on top. 
And I said, you got Calvin Nash. He was there. Calvin Nash said, that's no more than right. So they put me with two more guys. A redhead kid I was wrestling with. I said, okay, I'll take the fall. They said, no. We want him to take the fall. And I'm like, okay. I'm not going to argue with you. And that, that little stroll, Calvin Sullivan, me and my, my cousin were coming to the ring, means to hide up under the ring. I said, for what? Calvin Sullivan was so mad because they didn't beat me. I was up under the ring. He kicked up under the ring and kicked me in my jaw. You talking about a fight in the dressing room. I whooped that little guy all over the dressing room. <laughs> you know, they had to pull me off. <laughs> So there go my career with WCW. <laughs> I left there and went to NWA. I got I put in the Hall of Fame in NWA. Every place from that day on, and my father held that type of belt, I ended up holding that type of belt. I did that. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite something. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, I mean, 47 years in the business, I haven't seen ups and downs, I haven't seen headaches. Lost five wives in this business, you know. You you got to love the business to stay in it. You got something people might not told you. I know you did a lot of interviews, but you got to, to love wrestling, sleep wrestling, eat wrestling, and work wrestling to stay in this business. I mean, it's a youngest man career and a single man, a married man, not going to stay married in this business. It's it's too it's too much. It's too much out there. I'm just going to be honest. It's the whole free world when you're on top out there. Sound sound advice for the young guys getting into the business there, Bobo. Bobo, Bobo, thank you so much for coming on, man. I've learned loads. I've been under the learning tree this evening here in the UK. It's cool hearing the stories about your career, hearing about your dad from your viewpoint. And yeah, multi-time Hall of Famer, Mr. Bobo Brazil Jr. Thank you very much for coming on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. Yes, and I hope you have us back again when I become the 22 times Hall of Famer and stuff. So, uh, you know, I told Larry to get with you sometime. That's a, a bad blood, or bad blood. And uh, we would uh, send you some, some autograph pictures. Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate, I really appreciate that. This episode is brought to you in association with Powered 4 TV, so go and check them out for anything wrestling related, old events, new events when we come out of COVID, podcasts, you name it, it's all there at Powered 4 TV, so find them across social media. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.